I've, I've mentioned before, I don't remember if I've shared it here, um, years ago I, I was participating in, in uh, this project. My church was working on a Habitat for Humanity house, and uh, over the course of a couple of weeks I, I volunteered as well, and I eventually kind of got encouraged not to um, because I'm so clueless when it comes to anything anything uh, technical like like hammering or painting. So um, I started out. I started out hammering. Uh, we were building the floor, the the floor on top of this uh, raised uh, basement kind of area. And after a while, they said, you know, maybe you should just only hammer in the nails that other people have gotten started for you, because you know we can't afford all the nails you're you're, you're destroying. So um, so I kind of got moved. I got eased off the nail duty, and uh, they had me paint for a while. And they said, you know what? Um, I think your true calling, Luke, is to drive the trailer full of trash out to the dump and rake things off the trailer into the dump. So that's what I wound up doing. That was my, my real calling at that uh, project. So now, now I, I'm okay with that. That was really not my gift, and I discovered that. If they'd asked me to, to design a website for them or something, I could have done that. But that was not my gift. And, and so I, I came to that conclusion over time. But um, I, I've been thinking about that because... Over the last few weeks, we've been studying this section of uh, 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, and continuing through the end of chapter 14. And in it, what we've seen is that Paul makes the most astonishing claim. He says that every single follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus is given a superpower, given a spiritual gift, a gift from God that, that enables them to do things that ordinary mortals can't do, that, that they could not do apart from God's help. And I wonder, is that really true? Is that true of everybody? Does everybody get a gift? Because that's what Paul says. Paul says, you do get a gift. Now he says they're different, that not everybody receives the same gift. And then we've seen that that led to squabbling in his church about whose gift was the best and so forth. But I come back to where we began, which is, does everybody get that? Or or is there... Is there some group of people or are there people who are excluded from that promise? Are there, are there people who cannot be used by God and so they don't receive that gift? Uh, you know, I, I, you know I, I, I wonder, you know, is it, is, it, is it true that sinners, do sinners uh, receive gifts? Can they be used by God? Well, I certainly hope so because I'm one. And more than that, I know Paul himself, the, the one who wrote the letter, he said that he was the greatest of all sinners. So clearly he thinks that, that being a sinner is not an, a, a, something that would exclude you from God's uh, use in the church. So, so sinning isn't, isn't an exclusion. How about if you're a jailbird? How about if you've got a prison record? How about if, if you've broken the law? Well, that's not an exclusion either because we see God uses people like, like David and Moses who were both murderers um, Paul who spent a lot of time in jail actually wrote a lot of his letters in jail. So, so being a jailbird is, an, is something that would exclude you. Uh, how about how about if you're if you're just too old? Well, I mean, you know, God used people like Methuselah, literally Methuselah. So clearly, being old is not a problem. Abraham uh, received his call when he was ninety. Um, he didn't father a child until he was a hundred. God can certainly use old people. Uh, Moses didn't begin. Uh, uh, leading the people of Israel out of Egypt until he was 80. Clearly, age is not, a, is not a, a something that would exclude you. How about youth? 
Well, one of Paul's, one of Paul's uh, helpers was a man named Timothy, and Paul explicitly writes to Timothy and says, I know you're getting some grief because you're so young. Don't let it stop you. God's going to use you in amazing ways. So clearly youth is not a problem. What, what, what else might be an exclusion? What, what else might keep God from using you? Uh, Paul, in his letters, we don't have time to look at them all, but he says, he says, it doesn't matter if you were a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're part of the larger Greek culture or if you were Jewish. Um, he says, he says God can use all of you. He even says that God can use males and females. And, and you may have noticed, uh, that section in our reading with the parens. Um, that is a big can of worms. And so I'm going to read it next week. Um, again, and we're gonna, we're gonna take some time and try to do it justice. I can't do it justice today, so I'm gonna do it next week when none of you are here. You're all gonna be away for, for a Labor Day weekend. So, um, that's a God thing. It worked out very nicely that way. Um, but, uh, but, but I wonder, you know, okay, none of the obvious categories of who might get excluded from service, uh, make any sense because we see throughout the Bible God uses all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. But there is one, and we see it in this passage today. We see there is one category of person who God cannot use, and that is the person who cannot or will not use their gifts in love. So what what do I mean by that? What do I mean by love? Well, instead of me answering about love, I'll just refer you back to chapter 13. We saw what Paul means when he talks about love. He talks about how love is is patient and kind and, and all those other things, that beautiful poem that we hear so often at weddings. That's what Paul means about love. And then beginning in chapter 14, he starts saying, and here's what it looks like in the church. When people love each other in the church, this is what it looks like. And so he begins in chapter 14, and and we're catching the end of that here. And Paul says that if you cannot use your gift in love, then God cannot use you. If you're a jailbird, if you are if you are old or young, Jew or Greek, male or female, Free or slave, God can use you. But if you cannot or will not use your gift in love, then God has no use for you. So let's go ahead and take a look at this this section of the the scripture. Uh, Beginning in verse 26, Paul says, uh, What should be done then, my friends? Actually, you know what? I'm going to skip to verse 40 because I'm a Presbyterian. And if you're a Presbyterian, you will understand why I'm skipping to 40. It says this. It says, It says, all things should be done decently and in order. This is this is the Presbyterian uh, unofficial slogan. We actually have an official we have an official motto. The Presbyterian Church has an official motto, which is uh, "We are the Church Reformed, always in need of being reformed according to the Word of God." So, some of you are familiar with our official motto, but probably many of you are either directly familiar or else you've watched and seen that Presbyterians have this unofficial motto, which is that all things should be done decently and in order. And by decently and in order, we mean as little as possible. So um, <laughs> we have so much order and so much decency that sometimes you wonder if we can actually ever get anything accomplished. I, I tell people when, when I get a phone call, can your church participate in this or that? I say, well, give me a quarter or maybe half a year and I'll get back to you. Um, but but we, we do have a lot of order and a lot of decency, and so it does make it sometimes difficult to uh, to get things going in the church. So that is our kind of Presbyterian slogan, or our unofficial slogan, and that's what I wanted to have in mind as we go back and look at the beginning. Paul says, what should be done then, my friends? When you come together, 
Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, I'm not so sure this sounds very Presbyterian. When you come together, we do come together, so we got that part. Each one has a hymn. Well, not usually. Usually a handful of people have got hymns. The the people who sing in the choir, the musicians, they know what the music's going to be. The pastor picks it all. That's one of our little rules. And and um, most of you don't get to bring hymns to church, right? We just say, nope, nope, it would be too confusing if you did. So most of you don't bring hymns. Maybe if we're having a hymn sing or something like that. Um, how about a lesson? How many of you brought a lesson to church today? Okay, yes, exactly. So most of us don't bring lessons. Um, a revelation. How many of you brought a revelation to church? This is, this is sounding less and less like a Presbyterian church service all the time. He says, a revelation, a tongue. Okay, how many of you brought a tongue other than your, your native tongue to church today? Probably none of you if you're like most Presbyterian congregations. Or an interpretation. Well, hopefully, at least the pastor brought an interpretation, right? Because that's what I'm doing here. So, so uh, most of this does not sound like a Presbyterian church service. So he says, let all things be done for building up. So uh, I would say that, that uh, the, the critique that Presbyterians get is that we pick that, we cherry pick that verse 40 out of context. That the context is all about the use of gifts in the church. And we pick this one verse that says, be very careful how you do all that stuff. And we use it. And I know that, that people from a more charismatic tradition, people from a Pentecostal background would say, see, you're missing the point. The point is about how you use the gifts. And you Presbyterians have picked the part that says, and probably don't. Um, and, and they would say, you're, you're missing the point. And I think there's some justice there. But I think both uh, people from a, a Pentecostal background and Presbyterians can agree that the real center of this passage is the end of verse 26, where he says, let all things be done for building up. This has been what Paul's emphasis has been for the past three chapters. He's talking about building up the church, building up each other. And so uh, whether whether we all bring gifts or whether we all have too much order and discipline um, is a question, but the center of the passage should be that we build up the church. And he gives examples. What does it look like when you build up the church? What does it look like to walk in love? And so he says, for example, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each one in turn. So you can't all babble at once. And... Let one interpret. And if no one is around to interpret, he says, let them be silent. He says, you received a gift from God. God gave you the ability to converse in the tongues of angels. And you're not supposed to use it. It's not because there's anything wrong with the gift or anything wrong with you. It's just because two or three people have already done it today. And that's enough. And Paul says, that's that's where you Act in love by declining to use your gift. So he says, let me give you another example. Let two or three prophets speak. Okay, God revealed something to you. You have knowledge from God that you need to speak into the situation. And Paul says, two or three of you can do that. The fourth one, no. That if it wasn't important enough to knock the other people over, if it wasn't important enough to say to go first, if you were waiting your turn, because, you know, it's a prophecy, but I'll wait my turn. Paul says, if you get to number four and it hasn't been said, then don't say it. Let it wait. Let it wait. Even though it's a prophecy from God, Paul says, let it wait. Because 
Everything must be done for building up. And if people are sitting here being being uh, uh, overwhelmed with prophecy, then you're not building them up. He says, if a revelation is made to someone else sitting nearby, let the first person be silent. He says, you are in the middle. You got your chance. This is the week you actually get to say your prophecy. God has given you something. He's laid something on your heart. You are desperate to say it. And if somebody else hops up and begins with their prophecy, you are to give way. Instead of standing on your prerogatives, you are to yield. Paul says, this is how you exercise your gifts in love. Sometimes by not exercising your gifts at all. So, let all things be done for building up. Well, what do we do with this? What, what do we do with this passage? You know, uh, the truth of the matter is, I'm not sure how many people are going to come next week because it's a can of worms or because it's the, the holiday weekend. But if you do come back next weekend, are you going to come back with a prophecy? Are you going to come back speaking in tongues? My guess is probably not. You know, God, it's God's, God's church. God can give you a word in tongues if he wants and praise God. But I'm not expecting a lot of it. Okay, I'm just not. But we do have gifts. We have gifts. And the question is, how will we exercise them when we come back next week? I, I need to I need to clarify something. Um, what I'm about to say may sound like I'm sending a message to someone. Okay? And you will you will not this won't make any sense if you're sitting here thinking, who's he talking to? Okay? Because let me just tell you flatly, I'm not sending a message to anybody. There's nobody in the church that I'm speaking to, except maybe because of a God thing. Okay? I'm going to talk about church discipline because it came up. I've been preaching in, in Corinthians now for five weeks, and this is where we landed. But I'm not sending a secret message to you, Wilbur, and I'm not sending a message to you, Loretta. And the rest of you don't have to worry if maybe I am, because I'm telling you flat out I'm not. Now, I will tell you this. This is on my heart because of the work I've been doing for Presbytery with a different church. There's another church in south-central Alaska that's going through some difficulty, and if I was preaching in that pulpit today, there are four or five people in that congregation that I would be speaking to. And my challenge would be to make it to anybody else. So I'm going to talk about discipline, but I'm not talking to any one of you. But maybe God is. Maybe this will be something that you need to hear. So... Paul says, what should be done? Everything should be done for building up. And then he says, sometimes you've got a gift. God has given you a gift and you don't exercise it. How many times have you been in a church where there's been a conflict? Because somebody's gifts were not being used. Maybe the circumstances of the church changed. Uh, the, 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 the direction the church felt that God was leading them Changed, And they said, we're going to try a different kind of ministry and we're eliminating our choir or we're telling our choir to take off their robes or we're getting rid of our organ. I understand you did that before I arrived, thank God, um, uh, because then I don't have to deal with that. Um, I don't know what the decision-making process was, how it was the church came to that conclusion. But if you've been in a church before, if you've been in hardly any church before, you've probably seen circumstances where people were told that their gifts were not needed in the way they had been needed in the past. Maybe it was a choir director. Maybe it was a beloved youth director. 
a position was eliminated. The, 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 the classroom that they needed for their activity was reassigned to some other purpose. And people got bent out of shape. And the church suffered. See, when, when Paul talks about God being a God not of confusion or disorder, but of peace, he's not necessarily talking about all the prophets babbling at once. He's talking about a church that's being pulled in different directions, a church that has no direction, a church that is disordered because it's going in five directions at once. So Paul says, God is a God not of confusion, but of peace. And then he pulls rank. So in verse 37, he says, anyone who claims to be a prophet or to have spiritual powers, and and that would be for us, anybody who comes to church and says, I have a gift I want to use in the service of the church. I've been given the gift of music or the gift of teaching. I've been given whatever gift it is. I've been given the gift of painting windows. Okay? And I want to use it in the service of the church. Paul says, they must acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. Now, what makes that striking is Paul so rarely pulls rank. Uh, even in this letter, there's a, there's a place, if we go back to chapter 7, I think I've got it up here. Um, if you go back to chapter 7, Paul says, can you go to the next one? Paul, in two verses, he says, what I'm about to tell you is a command of the Lord. He says, to you married people, and then he tells them what to do. And then two verses later, he says, now, here's some advice I've got for you, but it's not God's advice. This is just Paul talking. Paul is excruciatingly careful to be sure that he does not pull rank. That he doesn't play the Jesus card. But this is one of the places he does. He plays the Jesus card. He says, they must acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. He says, it's my way or the highway. And he says, anyone who does not recognize this is not to be recognized. Anyone who ignores this is to be ignored. So what does that mean? That means when they phone you and they say, I'd like to talk to you about the situation with the choir director, you say, I can't talk to you. When they say, I'd like to get together for coffee and talk to you about that elder, you say, no, I can't do that. See, Jesus gave us a procedure to use when there's a problem in the church. We read it earlier, the passage from Matthew Jesus says, this is what you do when you've got a problem in your church. You don't gossip, you don't backbite, you don't make little phone trees to sort things out. Jesus gave us a process, and we have a book of discipline that helps us implement that. And so we don't pick up the phone. When they call, we don't talk. When they say, let's get together, we don't do that. Paul says, if they ignore this, then you ignore them. He says, it's truly my way or the highway. The mission of the church matters that much. God can use prisoners. God can use slaves and free, Greek and Jew. God can use old and young. God can use sinners. But he cannot use people who will not or cannot use their gifts in love. 
Now, if you've been around Presbyterians, you know that we can never really say my way or the highway. It's just not in our DNA. We say my committee's way or the highway. We just don't have it in us. I mean, it's a rare Presbyterian who can give you instructions by themselves. Usually we say, well, let's form a committee, and then the committee will give you instructions. But ultimately, this is what Paul means when he talks about order. This is why he says it, because it has to be done in order that the church go where God is calling it. My hope, and as I've said, I don't have anybody in mind here. This is not a this is not directed at anybody. This is my hope for the church in general. This church, the other church I mentioned, and really all the churches of Christ, is that if you can use your gifts here, that's great. That's wonderful. They're supernatural gifts. You have a superpower that God gave you so you could exercise it in the church. And if you can, that's great. And if you can't, because of the direction of the church, because of your concerns about the leadership, whatever it is, if you cannot use your gifts in the church, go somewhere else. Go to a different church where you can. You'll be happier. The church you go to will be happier. And the church you leave will be happier. Paul says... That's the way it has to be. He says, all things should be done decently and in order. There should be a direction to what the church is doing. The church should be moving together in love. And sometimes that means people don't get to use their gifts. And if you cannot deal with that, find a place where you can. But don't insist on using your gift in the church. Don't insist on speaking in tongues when people have already done it. Don't insist on prophesying when they already have. Don't insist on the kind of music you like best or the kind of teaching you think the church needs. Because God is a God not of confusion, but of peace. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a difficult teaching. We hate the thought that that churches can be conflicted and that people can can be willful, and yet as we examine our own hearts, we know sometimes we are. So we pray, Lord, you'd help us to be obedient to this command of Jesus. Help us to know what your way is so that we can walk it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.